4, um, verses 23 through 31. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up or pull them up on your phone uh, and get ready. But I want to do a little bit of background before we get there. Um, we have, we're in the, still the beginning, I guess, quarter of our series on the first 14 chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, we are looking at how the early church got its, got its start after Jesus um, was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and how the Holy Spirit launched the, the, the birth of the church, the body of Christ. And so um, we've, we've, we've read the Pentecost story where the Holy Spirit comes down on all the believers in the upper room, and then how Peter is emboldened with the Holy Spirit to go and, and to preach to the crowd. And then last week we looked at Peter and John a couple of days later. They're at the, they're going to the 3 o'clock prayer service at the temple. And they pass by uh, a man who's been lame from birth. We learned from chapter 4, actually, that he was over 40 years old. And so for 40 years, over 40 years, he had been taken to the temple to beg for money in order to survive. And so Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, are going into the temple. They see this man. They tell him to look at him. They tell him to look at them. And they say, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he grabs their hand, and he, and he not only stands up and walks, but he leaps, and he praises, uh, praises God for this miraculous healing. But that healing and preaching in the name of Jesus gets Peter and John locked up in church jail. It's not Roman jail, it's the temple jail. The Sadducees and the, and the Jewish leaders who are in charge of the temple um, grab Peter and John after this healing, and they put them in jail, and they meet with, with uh, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And they, they bring them before there, and they say, hey, listen, you've you got to stop doing this. You've got you to stop talking about this Jesus. We killed him, we, we crucified him, he's dead, he's no longer alive, and, Jesus, and Peter turns to him and says, I cannot stop preaching about what I've seen and heard. And they kind of convene themselves. They, they remove Peter and John out of the Sanhedrin, and they kind of talk amongst themselves. They have an executive session, and they say, listen, we can't deny this man who was healed. We've all seen him. We've seen him for over 40 years. We know the man, and now he's walking. We can't deny what they've done. We just want to tell them to stop preaching about Jesus. And they warn them, and they tell them over and over again, but they don't do anything. They release Peter and John, and this is what happens when they return back to the church, back to their people, back to the body of Christ. Listen to our passage from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. If, if you are able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? They're told to to stop preaching, to stop healing, and they, but yet they're freed. And so verse 23 begins this, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying this, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, they go on to say, 
This has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God. With This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Peter and John, they come back, and they, they report to the church, hey, they've told us to stop preaching about Jesus. They've told us over and over and over again to stop preaching about Jesus. They give this report to the church, and what does the church do? They pray. They prayed. And listen, this wasn't just something that the church did, the early church did. It's not just something they did. Of course, they did do that. Prayer, it, it was who they are. It was who they were. Prayer was not just something they did. It was who they were. So let's just go look back, just in, in, the, just in the short chapters that we've, we've been looking at. Let's go back and let's just see this take place in, uh, in, in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and the people are gathered. It says they, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Before Acts 1 ends, we, we, we read that they have to choose a replacement for Judas. So Judas uh, betrayed Jesus ended up hanging himself, and so now there's only 11 disciples, and they choose to replace Judas because, uh, and the qualification for that replacement had to be a witness of, of Jesus while he was alive and the resurrection because, again, what's our job? Uh, we're to be witnesses uh, to the ends of the earth. And so verse 24 and 25 describe the scene as they're getting ready to make this decision. Then they all prayed. O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. They all prayed. They had this big decision to make, and they prayed. Jesus ascended. They, they were together praying. They have the decision to make. They're praying. Acts 2, after the Pentecost, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the room. Peter has his boldness. He preaches to the crowd. He explains what's happening. He calls them to repent. And then we're left with this description of the early church. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Y'all catching the drift? Prayer prayer. They prayed. They, they heard the report from Peter and John. They prayed. They were a praying people. It wasn't an afterthought. It was their first thought. 
And I'm just, I just want to tell you this morning, that is my prayer for us as a church. That prayer would not be an afterthought. Oh, we're in trouble. Let's pray. Oh, we haven't, we've done everything else. Now, now let's pray. No, I, I don't want it to be an afterthought. I want it to be a first thought. I want it to be the first thing we think about. We don't want to just be a church that prays. We want to be a praying church. I, just, I don't want prayer just to be one of the many things that we do. I want it to be the lifeblood of all that we do. We want it to be the thing that we do. And everything flows out of that. And, and, and if you're paying any attention here lately, you can see that taking shape, taking form in the life of our church. Our Monday morning prayer time. It's one of my favorite times. I, I hate when I have to text Miriam, hey, I can't, I can't make it. I got a doctor's appointment. I got, I got this over here. Can you, can you make sure you're there? I hate not being there. And I, here, I'm just pleading with you. I'm sort of begging with you. I want more of you to take advantage of it. I'm not care, I, don't, I don't care about how many. I will do it if just me and Miriam are there. Fortunately, it hasn't just been me and Miriam. But I want more people to take advantage of it because I know how meaningful it is to me. And listen, as I said earlier in the service, if, if that time doesn't work for you, hey, start another time. I, I'll be glad to open up the doors of this church more often. So pick a time, name it, let's, ha- let's make it happen, let's do it. So we've got our Monday morning prayer time. We've got our prayer ministry teams. Folks have been praying during the services for months now for, for you, for your hearts to be open to what God is wanting to do in your life, for your ears to be open to God's voice, for you to listen to God's voice. I pray they've been praying for me that I would get out of the way and that God would lead and guide me while I'm leading you. We've got our pillowcase ministry. Your Sunday school classes and your small groups are being asked to pray over these pillowcases, and these pillowcases are then presented to, to, to you, some of our church members, to, to our loved ones, to our friends who are sick, who are recovering, who are going through an illness. And these pillowcases, they don't have any magic in them, right? They don't have any magic in them, but they are a sign and a message to those that have them to say, hey, you have people that are praying for you because we believe in the power of prayer because we are a praying church. Listen, we don't want to be just a church that prays. We want to be a praying church. We don't want prayer to be an afterthought. We want it to be our first thought. I love what J.D. Walt wrote in the, one of the wake-up calls uh, this, about this passage this week. You remember the wake-up call is that email devotion that you can get that, that follow along this, this Acts series. He said about the early believers, he said prayer was not the only thing they did, but it was the first thing. Prayer was not the only thing they did, but it was the first thing. Because they knew they could do more than pray after they prayed, but they knew they would do nothing more than pray until they prayed. I don't think y'all heard me. Prayer was not the only thing they did, but it was the first thing they did. Because they knew that they could do more than pray after they prayed. But they knew they would do nothing more than pray until they prayed. A lot of times we got that in in, in reverse. We try everything else. Oh, those things didn't work? Oh, now I'll pray. Let me see what God has to say about this. Let me ask for God's help. 
the early believers, their first thought was, Lord, help us. Lord, I need you. Lord, fill us up. Lord, do more. Lord, praise God. They knew they could do much more once they prayed, but they couldn't do anything until they prayed. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the foundation of our relationship with God. Prayer is the communication line between us and God. And no relationship can thrive if there is no communication. Y'all didn't want to say amen to that. Husband, wife, parent, child, friends, co-workers, they all require communication. And so if we want to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father Because he wants a relationship with us, and if we want that, then we need to be in prayer because that's our communication line. And when we do, when we do pray, watch out. When we do pray, watch out. Because did you did you see how this story ended? Did you see? Did you did you you pay attention? Verse 31. After this prayer. So Peter and John come back from the Sanhedrin, they report, they immediately go to prayer. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Woo, got chills. After the prayer, the meeting place shook. The room where they were shook. When's the last time the place where you were praying shook? When's the last time the place where you were worshiping shook? When's the last time this place shook? I'm willing to guess that perhaps it probably hasn't. At least very often. You're in worship and you're in prayer. You're praising God and the room shakes. I can't I can't say it's happened to me very often. If ever. But listen, this is the second time in four chapters where the room where the early church was worshiping and gathering together and praying together, where it shook. Acts 2, verses 1 through 2, the story of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. A sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. I don't know about you, but that sounds like to me that the room shook. Listen, we just had a hurricane, right? There were times that the wind was blowing uh, good enough, hard enough, that I sort of kind of felt parts of the house a little shake. I could definitely see the wind uh, affecting the trees and swaying and breaking and pine cones and, and, and limbs falling down. First at Pentecost, now in Acts 4, the people of God were together praying, worshiping, gathered in fellowship, and the room shook. What if I were to tell you 
that I believe that this ought to be the norm, not the exception. What if I were to tell you that I believe that this ought to be the norm and not the exception? I know that sounds crazy. But I think it's only crazy because it's so far from our own experience. We just haven't experienced it. We just haven't had it happen. So when I have a question about life, about something, about something that I can't really explain, that I'm having a hard time understanding, I try to go to the Scriptures, right? I try to go to the Word of God. And in just four chapters of Acts, I've read about the people of God praying and worshiping and being filled with the Holy Spirit and the room where they're gathered in shaking. That, that just tells me that perhaps my experience or my lack of experiences should not define my outlook. God's Word should. And I'm just going to boldly proclaim it. Listen, I want us to be a church where the room shakes. You're the, I'm the only one? Okay, fine. Well, listen, well, I mean, I'm going I'm to pray by myself, and I'm going to pray for the room to shake. Perhaps you don't, but I do. I want to experience all that God wants me to experience. I want to have all that God wants me to have. Do you? Okay, and if it means that when God moves, that just so happened the room shakes, well, let's, let's let the room shake. Let's let the lights flicker and the walls kind of move around. I want to be a church where the room shakes. And I know it sounds crazy. I, I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous, right? I mean, of course the preacher's saying this, right? And listen, I know, I know that the point is not that the room shakes. I, 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 get, I get that, right? That's not the point of the story. The point is that God moves. The point is that God's people prayed, they praised, and then God moved. They asked and they received and God moved. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were ready to go and to preach the good news. So, so listen, and I don't mean to, I do not mean to diminish the idea that the room physically could shake, okay? We're not do, I'm not diminishing that at all. Lord, make it, make it so. Y'all holding on to anything? Because I don't know, what, you know. I don't want to diminish that at all. But maybe it's not about the room shaking, but perhaps it's our hearts that need to be shook up. Maybe our souls need a little stirring. Perhaps God needs to shake up our lives, shake away our sin, shake away any disobedience, shake away our apathy. Our just going through the motions. Maybe God needs to shake the dust off of our rusty faith and give us a desire for more and more and more and more of Him, whatever that looks like. Maybe the room doesn't need a, bit, a, a good shaking. Maybe you and I need a good shaking. All the signs, all the wonders, all the miracles, all the healings, all the speaking in tongues, it was all a call for the people of God to repent. They were a signpost to who Jesus was, and they were a call for the people of God to turn back to him. 
Every time Peter had an opportunity to speak, whether to the crowds at Pentecost or at the temple after the healing or to the Sanhedrin when they were put into jail, he called the people to repent and to look towards Jesus. Here's what you and I need to know. God designed us to be in a relationship with him, but sin has broken that relationship. Our disobedience broke that relationship. And no amount of good deeds can remove our sin. No amount of deeds, good deeds can restore our right relationship, be in right relationship with God. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I know I'm a good guy. I know you're a good woman. I know you're a good guy. That doesn't mean a hill of beans unless you have Jesus. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He was the spotless lamb, paying the price for our sins. He died and rose again. And everyone, including you and me, who put their trust and their faith in Jesus has eternal life. Peter says this much in Acts chapter, in our, in our chapter 4, verse 12. He says, they're speaking to the Sanhedrin. They're like, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. And he says, listen, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You can't get more black and white than that, folks. There is, no, there is salvation in no one else. So we're to put our whole trust, our whole faith, our whole life in Jesus for salvation. And when we do, we have eternal life. And that doesn't begin when we're called up yonder. That begins right now the moment you say yes to him. If you want the room of your life to be shook up, then give your life to Jesus. That was the cry of Peter's heart, and it's the cry of my heart as well. And if you want the room to shake, guess what? Just pray. Pray. Pray to give your life to Jesus. Pray. Pray. We've got to pray. We have to be a church that doesn't just pray, but we have to be a praying church. We have to be a people where prayer is not the only thing we do, but it's the first thing we do because we know that when we can do more than pray after we pray, but we also know we can do nothing until we pray. And that word pray, that word pray, P-R-A-Y, it's key. Y'all remember us talking about the the need to pray, P-R-A-Y? If you have the Lectio 365 app, you know what that stands for. P, pause and praise. R, reflect and rejoice. A, ask. And Y, yield. Remember we did a study on Pete Gregg. He looked at the Lord's Prayer, and and this is how he, he got this model from studying the Lord's Prayer. But we also see this model of praying here in our passage in Acts 4. When Peter and John return and give, give the church their report from the Sanhedrin, the people go to praying, and we see this P-R-A-Y model in action. Paul's in pray, Acts 4, 24, verse 24 of our passage. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. They paused and they praised. O sovereign Lord, creator of everything. Lots of times when we go into prayer, man, we go right at it. Lord, I need your help, I need your help, I need your help. (laughs) And instead, we just, we don't take time to just breathe. We don't take time to praise. 
to thank God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's Prayer begins with pausing and praising. They continue on. Um, You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Atippus, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. They reflected and they rejoiced. They reflected on the fact that we are not just individuals in our own little story, that we are all part of God's story. And so they went back to Scripture. They went back to Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2 which is a messianic uh, psalm that speaks to Jesus. And so they don't, they're they're not selfish people like we often are in our prayers. They remind themselves that they are part of God's story. And so they pause and they reflect and they rejoice that what was in Psalm 2 has now happened to them. They brought Peter and John into the Sanhedrin. They're about to experience a lot more coming up. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. So they reflected and they rejoiced. Yet God was working in it all. And then finally, you notice the third step? The third step is ask. That's not the first step, it's the third step. And now, O Lord, verse 29, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Only after praising and rejoicing do they get to asking. And they only ask for what they need for the advancement of God's kingdom here on this earth. Boldness, courage, healing, signs, wonders, all done in the name of Jesus. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Asking for what we need, our daily bread. They ask for boldness and courage and healing and signs and wonders. And then they yielded. Acts verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they went out and preached the word of God with boldness. The room shakes, the Holy Spirit fills them up, and they go out and preach with boldness. They were given exactly what they asked for. And here's the thing. I know that oftentimes our own experience says that, uh, Lord, we, we don't get our prayers answered that quickly. But Jesus tells us to ask and you shall receive. And we know that God's timing is perfect, and, and that's a part of yielding. It's, we yield to God's timing. We not only yield to God's response, but to his timing as well. They paused and praised, and they reflected on the Scripture, rejoiced in God's action and provision, and only after they did that did they then ask. And they asked not for selfish things, but for boldness and courage to preach the Word of God. And they yielded and they received what they asked for. If you want to see the room shake, pray. P-R-A-Y. If you want to see God move, 
P-R-A-Y. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, P-R-A-Y. If you want your heart and your soul shaken to the core, all the yuckiness and the guilt and the shame to fall to the ground, then P-R-A-Y. I want us not to just be a church that prays, but I want us to be a praying church. And we can do more things. We, we can do a lot more things. But the first thing we do always needs to be prayer. Who knows? The room just might shake. Remember, I love you. God loves you. Amen.